0: Well, good morning. I'm Pastor Evan. Glad that you're here. My microphone's on this time, and we're going to get to the text in just a moment. Uh, So I'm going to ask that you'd find Genesis 29, starting at verse 15. um, And we'll read about Jacob, week two of three of reading about Jacob. Um, And while you're finding that text, let's just talk about uh, a little bit of a recap of what's happened in Jacob's life so far that brings us to this point. Let's first of all remember his name, Jacob, means he grasps the heel, his twin brother came out just before him, Esau, he was grasping the heel, literally, according to the story, and comes out, and what we discover, you can see this in your footnote um, of your Bible if you read the birth story a couple chapters earlier, but uh, Jacob doesn't just mean he grasps the heel, but there's also a Hebrew idiom for he deceives. What's curious about this is it's not entirely clear um, to anybody uh, through the centuries if It became he deceives because of Jacob's conduct and then he became the definition of the term or if that it kind of had a double meaning even back in Jacob's day. Sort of like I was thinking about like Ponzi scheme, you know, Uh, the first sort of the namesake of the Ponzi scheme did a Ponzi scheme, but it became a Ponzi scheme because he did it like that's the name. That's kind of the idea that may very well have happened to Jacob. In any case, he fits the name well. He fits the he deceives name well as he lives out his life. So he bartered for his brother's birthright a little bit ago, short, right after the birth story, that's what we're told, and, and uh, Jacob takes this opportunistic moment to steal something uh, from his brother that's important. Then, with his mother, Rebecca, he tricks his dad into getting his older brother's blessing, which is a very big deal, and his older brother is angry, we heard that last week, to the point that he wants to kill Jacob, so Jacob flees. Then he Jacob uh meets God on the trail basically as he's fleeing away but you can tell that Jacob isn't all in with God yet even though he should be even though everything in his life sort of set him up for that he's not all in yet he's like yeah I'll follow you but there's a couple conditions God we're going to walk together but I want to see you fulfill some of these things first but what happens this week is that Jacob finally meets his match and his uncle Laban as far as the level of deceitfulness and trickery. And, and we'll see that, I think that becomes the beginning of a turning point in his story of how God's going to reach in and do something remarkable with Jacob. So let's read that part of the text. It's, it's curious, it's complicated, it's also very interesting. So Genesis 29, starting at verse 14b is really where it starts. It says, After Jacob had stayed with him for a whole month, Laban said to him, just because you are a relative of mine, should you work for me for nothing? Tell me what your wages should be. Now Laban had two daughters. The name of the older was Leah, and the name of the younger was Rachel. Leah had weak eyes, but Rachel had a lovely figure and was beautiful. Jacob was in love with Rachel and said, I'll work for you seven years in return for your younger daughter, Rachel. Laban said, it's better that I give her to you than some other man. Stay, with, stay here with me. So Jacob served seven years to get Rachel, but they seemed like only a few days to him because of his love for her. Then Jacob said to Laban, Give me my wife. My time is completed, and I want to make love to her. So Laban brought together all the people of the place and gave a feast. But when evening came, he took his daughter Leah and brought her to Jacob, and Jacob made love to her. And Laban gave his servant Zilpah to his daughter as her attendant. When morning came there was Leah. So Jacob said to Laban, what is this you have done to me? I served you for Rachel, didn't I? Why have you deceived me? Laban replied, it's not our custom here to give the younger daughter in marriage first before the older one. Finish this daughter's bridal week, then we will give you the younger one also in return for another seven years of work. And Jacob did so. He finished the week with Leah, and then Laban gave him his daughter Rachel to be his wife Laban gave his servant Bilhah to his daughter, Rachel, as her attendant. Jacob made love to Rachel also, and his love for Rachel was greater than his love for Leah. And he worked for Laban another seven years. Let's imagine, as we consider what's happened in Jacob's life then, and what's happening by this moment, let's imagine a scenario that could be hypothetical, but could also be a real-world scenario. Uh, Father or mother sitting at home looking at the kids and saying, you know what, okay kids, time to be done the screens for now. But dad, why do you get to use a screen still? Right? We can do this in a whole lot of different situations in life where there's some level of hypocrisy that comes across in our lives. We have uh, any number of bad habits that we've picked up in our lives We have entrenched vices and sins. We have attitudes that need to change, and you can just go down the list and see things that in us, that when somebody holds up a mirror, we could say, aha, that needs to be fixed, or that's not right. And often other people can see those things. Often we can see those things, even though we don't always want to admit it, and we don't always want to grasp it. I think you get to a point here where there's going to be a turning point for Jacob in this moment and beyond where he's kind of made his bed, but he's not ready to lie down in it yet as far as all the deceit and the things that have gone on in his life. A lot of which he's caused, a lot of which have been his own issue, and we're going to see that play out from this point on. But I want to talk, as we think about that, and as we think about Jacob's level of deceit, and we think about the fact that, yeah, he's made his bed, but he's not ready to lie down in it yet, let's just ask the simple question, as we've talked in Genesis about who God is and what God wants. What does God want from us? Or what does God want for us? We've talked that God has got a blessing and promise by his nature. What God wants is for us to be holy and live a holy life. It happens numerous times in scripture. Be holy for I am holy. That's the call that God's given to his creation, to humans specifically. God wants you to live a holy life. The problem is, as Paul points out in Romans 3, there's no difference between Jew and Gentile. Why? For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We've all failed to be holy in life. Jacob's failings are on display. Sometimes ours are on display uh, in ways that we will or won't acknowledge easily. God wants you to live a holy life. Only God is holy. We aren't. That's what Paul is telling us right there. We we don't match up. But Paul tells us that, that if we continue that way in Romans, he says, the wages of sin is death. But guess what? There's a solution. The gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. God wants us to live a holy life. Only God is holy. And the only way we can actually achieve living a holy life is through God's power. Through Jesus Christ. Jacob has character that does not reveal God's character, does not reflect God's character, or God's desires, or God's will. And at this point, he's he's unholy in that sense. At this point, Jacob can't help but be confronted by his own deceit and how it feels to be deceived. It's no fun for him. All of a sudden, to have this level of deceit leveled at him, He's living in his life has been contrary to God's purposes, contrary to God's character, contrary to God's promise, contrary to the covenant set up that he's supposed to live into and carry on through his own children. He's living sinfully and selfishly is what he's doing up to this point. And now the mirror has been held up to him and he can see that this isn't going to work. And, and a lesson we can take from this is that when we live in ways that are contrary to God's will and God's character and God's way, life may actually go okay for a while, but eventually the bill comes due. Eventually, we're going to realize that something is wrong, and it turns out only God can make it right. To the depths of our soul, we realize that. And God's promise is a promise of making the world right, and that means making you right with God. That's what God wants. That's the initiative that God's taking with, uh, with Jacob here, even though he can't see it. And in order to get to that point where Jacob can be right with God, he's got to turn, to repent is what that is. Turn from what is anti-God or against God's character towards that which is God's character. So then God can take an initiative and take hold and pull him towards himself and make him Holy. This is a turning point for Jacob. And so the question for us as we consider the lesson here is, where are those turning points that are needed in your life? What, what kind of thing would it take for you to, to look in the mirror and say, okay, these are things that don't reflect God's glory. What are the things that would make you turn from those things and say, okay, now it's time to fix those problems, God, that are in me? Jacob has met his match in this story. If we return to kind of the text. Jacob has met his match here. He's met his match in two ways. He met a match as far as like the E-Harmony jackpot in Rachel, as far as he's concerned, and then he met his match in Laban, who can out deceive even Jacob, the deceiver. What's interesting, you look at the text, let me just give a couple points that kind of come out as a little bit unusual perhaps to our ears today. Uh, it talks about Rachel uh, having beautiful figure and, and looking lovely and Leah having weak eyes. There's Nobody knows exactly what the weak eyes means precisely. You can look back at the ra- rabbis, what they've written through the centuries. They have all kinds of different divergent ideas. Modern scholars have all kinds of different ideas. What we can tell is that what's going on here is a very subjective look from Jacob's view that Rachel is who he loves and Leah is not who he loves. That much we can get clear. That's the sort of what we're supposed to get from that. The, the betrothal sort of price or, or dowry that is paid out um, is interesting. Seven years is over the top for what probably would have been a normal dowry of that time. Maybe 30, 40 shekels, which is maybe three, four years wages. Jacob goes over and above. He obviously feels comfortable there, but he obviously loves Rachel. To be able to give that much time in order for this to happen. Laban obviously knows a good deal when he sees one as well, if he's able to extend the price that much. Uh, But one other thing that I think comes out from the text that I think we just need to comment on, because it just seems strange to us that this could even happen, is that Jacob wouldn't know that he had married Leah, and not not discover that until the morning. And that does seem weird, but let me just give a couple thoughts on how that's even possible, because it is possible. The first thing is she's veiled uh, in this uh, scenario, and I'll just tell you, when I was in college in Chicago, I was uh, catering on the weekends at a lot of big Chicago places, and I catered a wedding at the Harold Washington Library on the south side uh, on this, you know, 300-plus people in this big room, and in the middle under sort of a little pergola is the bride and groom, and the bride was completely veiled, from head to toe, I have no idea what she looked like. I don't think her, bri- her husband there to be had any idea what she looked like in that moment, nor did she say a word during the whole time. She could see us, we couldn't see her. So there's the first thing. That's what you've got right here. It's entirely possible and even goes on around the world today. Second thing, while the text doesn't tell us this, it was pretty customary uh, for the, the wedding was a two-part process. This is why the dowry is mentioned here. Um, in in seven-year terms, that it would be a betrothal, and then the wedding comes later. So essentially, the betrothal was a seven-year betrothal, in this case, and the wedding comes at the end of that. Usually, it would be a year. Um, And when that time comes, they partied, and they partied, and likely there's alcohol at this party, and likely there's a lot of it. So it could very well be that Jacob didn't have his full senses about him at this point, that is entirely possible, known in that time period as well. Third thing, I was talking to a missionary from uh, Africa a couple years ago who pointed out that when it gets dark in Africa, it's not like here we can walk around at night, there's a lot of ambient light, you can barely see the stars. If you go to Africa, if you go out at night, you better have artificial light because you can't see anything because it's dark in rural parts of Africa. It's dark in this tent. It's dark in this place. So you've got a veiled bride, probably not all the senses being used, and it's dark. And Jacob is fooled by all of this. I will point out that um, what happens in the text is descriptive, not prescriptive. It's not God's desire that there be multiple wives in in a relationship. God's intent is still one man, one woman in a lifelong union. But what we have is a descriptive of what happened and how Jacob uh, was duped by Laban and how Jacob tried to make good of this, in a sense, moving forward. But Jacob had sown the seeds of his own problem, problems, basically, by this point. And Jacob, or Laban, just uh, took the opportunity to kind of water and fertilize what was already going on, is basically what happened here. He just took advantage. And what we'll see in Jacob's story from this point on is that there's a turning point. There's a turning point that he realizes he can no longer avoid his flaws and sins and we have those turning points in our lives too. We're just, we're confronted, the mirror is held up and we have to address those parts of us that don't match up to God's character, God's will and God's ways. And we have to address our own sin and our own shortcomings and repent and turn. Jacob's hit that point, we all hit that point and we need to acknowledge those points. And so what I want to do before we enter into our, our final song this morning is I actually want to just talk through a simple process by which uh, I, I would encourage you to follow something like this from today and beyond, where you can reflect on what God is doing, but you can also reflect on what needs to go so that tomorrow is different. It's it's uh, something that came up uh, a little after the Reformation from a guy named Ignatius Loyola, so the five, uh, 1500s, roughly, um, AD, uh, came up with a prayer called the Examen. It's a very simple thing. People do it multiple times a day or daily. It's been used for centuries now. And what happens in the Examen is that you're simply praying, first of all, for God's presence, first and foremost. And there's a slide that will show you what this looks like. Um, the intent behind this all is that you would prayerfully reflect on our days in the presence of God. Right now, we're in God's presence. How are we operating, is the question. And how can we continue to, to look at how we're operating in God's presence and reflect the image of God more? Obviously, you need Jesus Christ to fulfill all of this, but part of this is trying to root out that which would not look like God so that we can look more like God's image and, be, and live into that redemption that Jesus Christ has already won for us and drawn us into. So we pray for God's presence to begin, seeking his help to even pray right to begin with. God says he'll do that. Second is to take stock with gratitude to God. What am I thankful for? Like God's very presence and God's character and the things that God has provided in my life, those good things. How can I be thankful up front for those things as my first breath to God? Thirdly, you review, but you're still on the positive side as you do this. As you review, usually you do this at the end of the day, but you can do it any time. If you haven't done it in a long time or ever, you can review the last week, whatever. But consider, how has God's love been reflected to me this week from others? And how have I reflected God's love? And this can be a very telling moment. It could be positive in the sense that we can have more gratitude, or it can be one of those moments where it moves us to the next point of, of sorrow, where we're asking the question, uh, what needs forgiveness? Where do I need to turn? Where have I offended God? Where have I not lined up to God's character and my actions and my attitudes? Where have I deliberately worked against God's will today, this week? All the while you're asking for God's presence, because we live in God's presence all the time. We're asking for God to help guide us in this process so that we can work out that redemption that transformation only comes through Jesus Christ, but it's, it's, a, it's a team process. It doesn't work if we resist God. It works when we work with God, and we're asking God to work with us through this. God, how have I deliberately worked against you? And finally, as you're in that state of prayer, you pray, God, how can I make tomorrow different? How can I not re- repeat the sins and sinful attitudes of today today? So that tomorrow I reflect your glory, so that tomorrow, when I get to that thankfulness, I have more to be thankful for. So tomorrow when I review, I'm reflecting more of your love and your goodness than I was today. It's simple. And the reason for all of this is to be right with God, and to be those who have, who have participate in the promise of salvation. Paul in Romans 3 says, there's no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We heard that, but the promise, it follows that, and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Jesus Christ. We want to continue to work and walk into that redemption, not work against it, and that's what the invitation is through the examine. So let me pray through that with you right now as we, as we close, and then we will sing together. Lord, right now we ask for your presence in this place. We thank you that you are good, that you are holy, that you are loving and you are caring. We also thank you, God, that you're a God of justice, that wrong is wrong. It's wrong because it's opposite of who you are and what you want, and you stand against that, and you stand against that living in us because you want us to look like you through your Son, Jesus Christ. Lord, help us reflect that image. Help us think of those moments where we have reflected your love and where it's been reflected towards us so we can be thankful for those times. And Lord, right now, as we, ref- as we reflect on those and we're thankful for those times when we've shown your love, when we've received your love being shown to us, We recognize, just importantly, that just like Jacob had the mirror held up to him in front of Laban and recognized that what he was doing was no longer going to work in life, the bill had come due. God, we pray that, in fact, we would not continue to deceive ourselves or try and deceive you with attitudes and actions that are against your will, that are contrary to your character. God we pray not simply for forgiveness that you would absolve us from the guilt of that but that we would turn. Lord we pray for your hope is what we pray for that tomorrow we live into your hope more than we did today that tomorrow we reflect your image that tomorrow we recognize that Jesus Christ came to save us and release us from the curse of sin death and the devil and our job is not to work against that, but to ask for that, to receive it, and to live into the transformation that comes with that. Lord, for all of those of us that, that resist that, I pray that the walls are taken down, that we could recognize your presence and your goodness right now and the invitation of your Son, Jesus, to redeem us. Lord, we pray all this in your name. Amen.